Nation, have you heard about the Rocketbook? The Rocketbook has completely changed how I am able to find my notes. Last year when I cleaned my office, I had accumulated 14 legal pads full of notes for the year 2020. Well, I cannot find anything in those 14 legal pads. The Rocketbook allows you to take notes in the same way you're used to, hand to pen to paper, and you can then scan that using their app and you can search your notes. You can go look for that last time you interfaced with that customer, put a few keywords in there and it will pop up. This is a complete game changer with how you take notes and especially with how you do account surveys. Go to our affiliate link, scalinguph2o.com forward slash rocketbook to get 15% off your first order of $20 or more. Welcome to Scaling Up, the podcast where we scale up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. I'm Trace Blackmore. I get to host this fantastic podcast. And Nation, I am so excited about all the things that we have done this year course, we're wrapping up the year. We're in the last month of the year. We're getting ready to say goodbye to 2021. I think we'd all agree 2021 came with its issues, but at least we're starting to head in a different direction from 2020. Things are starting to make a little bit more sense, although I'm going to be honest with you, there is so much out there that just doesn't make any sense at all. Here is something that I am just inspired at from 2021. It is the water treatment community. The water treatment community has come together in a way that I haven't seen all industries do. And to be honest, I'm not connected with all the industries, so it's not fair to say other industries don't do this, but I am connected with the water treatment industry, and I have been a recipient of people coming together within this industry, sharing knowledge to give other people so they can make better decisions in time before they have to make drastic decisions and don't really have time to make them count. Now, we've done this throughout the year, definitely dealing with the raw materials and supply chain issues, talking about different things that we can do to weather that storm. Of course, we have the Rising Tide Mastermind, where it's a group of people where we get together on a weekly basis, and we talk about issues just like this, and we share ideas on what we're doing and the results we're getting from doing those items. And a lot of times, we'll find out that what we're doing is not working, and combining the experiences of the collective group, we can now cut through the forest of all the confusion so much easier because we have all of these experiences that we can talk about, that we can learn from, that we can help each other with. So I didn't start out this monologue to talk about the Rising Tide Mastermind, but the spirit behind the Rising Tide Mastermind is what I did want to bring up. And it is that we are part of a community. I know because I did it for so long, I would get in my car, I would drive to an account, I would speak to the customer, and then I would spend another hour or so driving to the next account. 
and I was by myself. And I felt like I was by myself and I didn't have as much fun because I couldn't share my experiences with other people because I had so much alone time. We call it windshield time. I was spending so much time just staring through my windshield as I was driving from account to account. Well, as I think you all know, that was the premise in which I decided we needed a podcast. We're in our cars already. We have plenty of time and can only take so much talk radio. So why not have a podcast that is just for us industrial water treaters? And because I did that, and mind you, I had no idea what I was doing, what I was getting into when I made that decision over four years ago. But in that four years time and greater than four years time, coming up in five years, not too long from now, I've seen a community that was always there, but they didn't have a way to connect. And being part of the Scaling Up Nation gave people a way to make those connections. It gave them an easy way to talk to a fellow water treater without worrying about them stealing business. Oh my gosh, if I talk to this guy that I consider a competitor, they're going to come take all of my accounts, so I'm not going to talk with them. Well, folks, they're the people probably the only people that understand what we go through day after day. And I have seen developed over the four-year times of people getting to know each other, people reaching out saying, hey, I do exactly what you do. How about we go somewhere and we talk about it? How about we figure out how we can help each other? So it's the spirit of that that I just want to acknowledge that we are doing such a good job of growing our community, of sharing our information, and making sure that we don't have to do things on our own. We all have heard together, everybody achieves more. I think that's the acronym for teams, but it really is. I don't have to do something on my own and experience the same results that you did when you did something on your own. You can now advise me on all the things that you would have done differently and how that would have changed the results, and now I can experience that. And then when I find somebody that's going through something similar, I can now share that information and they can do the same. It's just really exciting when we think about all the issues that we can solve when we just start talking with each other. You know, one of the issues that James McDonald is trying to solve is us not learning new things with all the experiences, with all the things that we have around us day to day. So once again, here's James McDonald and a new James's Challenge. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. The next James's challenge as we grow as an industrial water treatment professional drop by drop is make time for your family, friends, and you. Sure, industrial water treatment is awesome and can be all consuming, but having a proper work-life balance is important to being all you can truly be. Never forget that and strive to find that balance. The balance will be different during different phases in your life. Mine has been. 
be self-aware enough to readjust that balance when needed. When you come to your end days, you probably won't wish you had tested more water samples, but you may wish you had spent more time enjoying your family and friends. Be sure to share your experience on LinkedIn by tagging it with hashtag JC21 and hashtag ScalingUpH2O. This is James McDonald, and I look forward to seeing what you share. Thanks, James. Well, I want to go ahead and move to our interview today. I started today talking about community. And the reason I'm doing that is I am just amazed that we are part of a water treatment community. And it's not just in my city. It's not just in my state. It's not just in my country. It is worldwide. And I'm going to introduce you to somebody who is a member of the Scaling Up Nation that is very far from Atlanta, Georgia, and most likely very far from where you are listening to this podcast. My lab partner today is Waleed Khoury. Waleed, you and I are actually face-to-face. We met virtually. You got to love the internet. I think we met on LinkedIn. How are you today? Correct. Excellent. Thank you for having me today. It's a pleasure and an honor to be talking to you. Well, well, the honor is all mine, and I want the Scaling Up Nation to be honored as well. Do you mind telling the Scaling Up Nation a little bit about who Walid Willett is? So my name is Walid. I'm in the Middle East, completely outside of the U.S., and uh, I've been in the water industry for the last 20 years. And lately, I started my own uh, company after having worked for 20 years in multinationals, mainly U.S. Uh, Fortune 500 companies. And you reside where? So I'm based in Dubai. I've been here for the last 20 years. In fact, this month, I celebrate my 20th year. year. So I see things that happen over in Dubai, and it's just amazing all the structures that are being built over there. Is living over there just like living in Disney World every day? It's like a little bit like Las Vegas, but without the gambling part. So, so you have to see it's a compensation or something like this. So yeah, it's, it's brand new. It's more like Disneyland for adults. What is your role? What, what do you do on a day-to-day basis? So it's kind of mixed between a couple of things. So mainly I run my own company. So I started this company a year before, uh, Desalytics. And the purpose is to help uh, solve the water crisis in Africa. So we're trying to do our little part. We invest in uh, young companies, uh, recently uh, startups, you know, with young entrepreneurs, and we help them to scale up their uh, company so they can meet the water needs for industries and municipal customers within Africa. This is my main job. At the same time, I do a lot of influencing and a lot of uh, LinkedIn influencing, and I try to be on multiple panels, trying to help, you know, educate people about water, the needs, and so on. So this is how, like, roughly I spend most of my time. I want to say if we looked up how you're listed, your title on LinkedIn, it says water strategist, investor, and influencer. Tell us what each one of those mean. Yeah, in fact, in fact, the order is important because, you know, like, I've worked for 20 years in multinationals, as I said, and, you know, in multinationals, you do a lot of strategies. So by hook or crook, you have to learn to become a great strategist. The more, the more you go higher in the organization. And, and I was lucky because I worked in like 10 years in General Electric. So, you know, GE in terms of, of strategy and, and, and the development, it's an amazing company. So we've done a lot of strategic plans and the idea was to how you can scale uh, operations how you can scale business and so on but 
as you know, when you work for a multinational, strategies are impacted by the level of investment because you have multiple opportunities to invest. So you can invest in Middle East, you can invest in Asia, in Latin America, and so on. And then ultimately the funds will go to where there is a higher return and less risk. So, you know, our region is known, Africa and Middle East, either wars or political risk or currency risk, political situation, fluctuations, all of this. So lately, uh, when I started my own company, I moved to the investor side. I said, okay, if you cannot execute a lot within a multinational framework because it's more risky to operate, why don't I don't go and uh, execute the strategies on, on my own? So basically, I raise money and then I deploy this working capital to, to fund operations in Africa. So that's the investing part. And of course, I'm passionate about the water topic. And I think these are go hand in hand when you're trying to empower people and help them to grow their companies. Also, you have to imp- influence the decision making. You have to educate. You have to talk about the policies. So I spent a lot of time either on LinkedIn, but also in conferences, you know, and, and attending to meetings and shows, presenting and so on. And how you and I met, you do a vlog. Tell us about that, how you got involved with that, and what you do on a regular basis with it. Yeah, so this is kind of started by chance. So I was in, uh, during COVID, you remember like when COVID, we were all locked down, so nothing to, to do mainly with the outside world. So so I remember I just posted a question uh, on LinkedIn. I forgot what was the topic, but it was like a basic question about some topic on the water industry. And I tagged it like water question. And then what happened, uh, got a lot of interactions. I used to have like uh, already 10,000 followers. So I had a lot of interaction with this question. I said, okay, so why don't I ask more questions? And it became very uh, enriching at discussions. Think about it. You have all the top talent in the water industry contributing to this, uh, in this platform to, to the question. So you've got really the greatest minds. And then I said, okay, why don't we move deeper in the topic? And then I can pick a speaker and talk with him about uh, this uh, a question, a specific topic. So I picked the first discussion was with uh, Professor Dragan Savik, uh, the CEO of uh, KWR Research Center in Europe, the largest research, research center in uh, Europe. And we focused mainly on, on the COVID and uh, WBE, water-based epidemiology. So how you can measure COVID in wastewater and, and what it can tell you. You know, this was like a big topic back then. And then I said, okay, it's getting a lot of traction. People enjoy it. So let me go ahead and keep doing it. So, so I do these short videos where I pick somebody and then we discuss uh, a topic, specific topic to the water industry. And I believe you've had a great friend of show, James McDonald, on your program as well. Oh, definitely, definitely. With James, we, we spoke last year about the Industrial Water Week, just before the launch of the Industrial Water Week, what to expect, what he advises, how it started, and so on. It was, it was very interesting. So we're in the fourth year. We just celebrated the fourth concurrent celebration of Industrial Water Week. Uh, How do you celebrate in Dubai? So in Dubai, we had like multiple uh, events related to to, to the Industrial Water Week. So because I'm based in Dubai, but my focus is now on Africa. So our team was mainly spending time with industrial clients, you know, educating them, helping them on how to solve their water issues. So so, so we do it on a day-to-day basis, you know, on top of the Industrial Water Week. And, and during the week, we posted specific questions and topics and videos about uh, every day, about the cooling, about the uh, boiler and, and so on. Well, you mentioned getting the word out and all the things that you're doing to help with uh, water issues that are in Africa. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that? 
So as you know, like Africa today is still behind in terms of uh, water and sanitation. So there have been tremendous progress in the last 10 years in the water side, still behind, still running behind. But in terms of sanitation, it's even even worse. So what we do, we help uh, European and U.S. uh, suppliers connect locally in Africa. So, So we take out all the risks that they might be facing locally by being present on the ground. And at the same time, we educate all our team across all, all the... We have seven countries where we operate already. We educate them. We give them the same level of education that you would expect if you were based in somewhere like the US or Europe. So then the supplier and the technology can be implemented directly within Africa and solving some of the issues uh, they face. For example, in, in industrial water, you need high purity uh, water, for example, to run your power plants. Or, or if you want to do food and beverage, you need also very good quality of water. So our team can help with uh, resins, with membranes, with anti-scalants, but at the same time, they can educate the customer how to apply them to get the best return out of the equipment and uh, their products. What's the number one thing you want our audience to know that could help your cause? I think water scarcity is kind of overrated because people, they always talk about water scarcity, you know, and the solutions are here today. You know, it starts first by by optimization. So you have to reduce your water footprint. But then there is reuse. There is also advanced treatment. And so so the technology is available. But people tend to shy away from this and just talk about the scarcity part. So I think people have to shift their mindset from telling the story to uh, deploying the solutions. So I think people need to understand that Africa is is a similar market to other places, you know. So from outside, people uh, are worried because we all grew up seeing pictures on on, on the movie, on on TV, from Africa, like either famine or wars or conflicts. But at the end, each country is like similar to any place in the world. You have people who are trying to make a better living. They go to school. So we just have to go there and visit and try to understand that the market is relatively similar to other places. Like in every country, you'll have customers who are on the higher value end of the spectrum and you have customers who are looking just for prices, you know? So, and and like typical in any country, you can go there, you can find business, you can help uh, improve the quality of, of water. So my call to action will be, don't be scared about what's happening there. Try and explore, you know, other than the uh, vacation part, which is like, like the Tanzania or Kenya for safari, you know, try to see. And each country is different. It's completely different and it's exciting. You were recently at WefTech. For those that did not get to go to WefTech, what would you say it was like? You know, I, I was impressed because this was my first trip to the U.S. Uh, after the pandemic. So I was there just before, like end of February 2020. And then this was the first trip after the pandemic. So first, it was very successful. Probably it was half of what it used to be in the past in terms of size of exhibition and attendees and so on. But People who were there were intentionally there. You know, so they were not coming just for, for the visit because they made the effort. They know the COVID restrictions. They had to get vaccinated or had the PCR test done. So they made the effort to come. And, and you see, like, all the interactions I've had were really high-quality interactions because people were there because they want to be there. So for me, it was a good experience. And I also had the chance to to speak in WefTech and, and talk more about Africa because I told the organizer, like, in case you have any cancellation from uh, due to re- travel restrictions and so on, so I'm, I'm willing to to take the slot. And it happened, you know, so so I was lucky to be able to also expand the measures. This is part of the influencing uh, you know, role. So other than your talk, what were some of the other things that you thought were just outstanding that happened at WefTech? 
one of the things I like always in at WebTech is the challenge they have for operators. So you see see all the teams coming into WebTech just to to make sure that they can win all these uh, these challenges. This is kind of interesting. But then also this year they had the innovation uh, side where they have a lot of companies, small companies who cannot afford to be having a full booth, you know, full-fledged booth. So they created like an innovation pavilion and you had small tables where all these companies were, were there. And I think it was interesting because it gives them the opportunity to go and pitch to people who are really senior leaders and so on coming to the coming to the WebTech. I love asking this question or this next question because there's so many different answers. You're an industrial water treater. How did you get into industrial water treatment? By pure luck. I didn't even know it existed. So when I wanted to start university, uh, I'm from Lebanon. In Lebanon, like typical father wants his kids to do either engineer, doctor, or lawyer. You don't have much choices, you know? So if he's successful, it's because his kids have done one of those three. You know, this is how the mindset. So so I hated medicine. I also law, I'm not good at all in, in, in law. So what happens, the rest of it is engineering because I had good uh, math grades. So okay, let's do engineering. So I started engineering first couple of years. You have like general engineering. In the French system, you do like general courses. So the third year, you have to choose what you'll be doing as major. And then I said, okay, I'll, I'll go into environment because I love the environment and, and all these actions. So I did the first two years of environment. And then uh, the last year, you have to decide. So I go on the water, water track, but still it's general water. I did later a master's degree in water sciences, which is like more underground water, uh, rivers, dams, you know, this type of, of water, water treatment, basic water treatment, uh, municipal. So then I joined, joined NALCO. And the funny part, I, I go to Kuwait for a, a kind of an immersion on the job learning. And, uh, you, you know, in NALCO days, you'll get all these big books that you have to study and like boiler cooling and so on. So, so I'm studying these books before going on the site in the refinery. And like it tells you, if you go inside the boiler, you have to put like all the, all the processes you have to do before going inside the boiler. I was like, inside the boiler? What do you mean go inside the boiler? For me, boiler is like the home boiler, you know, it's a very small boiler. So I go the first time on, on site, it's massive, you know, like you have like 10 floor furnaces and, and for me, it was really like, oh, so there's something else other than, than just municipal water to, uh, to treat. And, and this is how it started. So it was exciting. What was the experience that you had that you said, you know, I thought I'd like this, but this is the career. I made the right choice. I think when you try to work in industrial water, you touch on multiple applications, you know, multiple industries. And uh, I was lucky because being in a remote country away from headquarters, like in Kuwait in this case, so you have to do things on your own. You'll be called to go to a paper mill. You'll, go, you'll be called to go to a food and beverage account, you know, power plant, refining, and so on. So you start seeing the diversity of, of the applications and the systems and and how impactful it is. Either it is on the pretreatment or uh, utilities or even at the discharge. So the fact that I loved uh, original environment and, and anything related to the environment, this came for me like, you know what, it's, it's a nice place to be in. What would you say one of your most challenging issues has been as an industrial water treater? Oh, yeah, many. You know, we can start with the first one, which where I, I wanted to go on the water treatment side. So, so in the refinery in Kuwait. So think about like I've been there for a couple of months. We're doing a trial, placing hydrazine by uh, carbohydrate. So, yeah, I mean, there were a few cases. The first one was basically 
when I was in the refinery in Kuwait, and I've been like two months in the job. It was Christmas Eve. And then uh, we were doing a trial to replace hydrazine by carbohydrate, non-carcinogenic. And then one of the boilers shuts down because I had like a high pH ingression and a low pH ingression. And of course, who to blame? The chemical uh, treater, you know, as typically by operation. So think about it. It's Christmas. Everybody's on vacation from my management. I'm two months in the plant, you know, and then trying to understand what's happening. And then the second boiler goes down. Okay, because they had four boilers, so the pH went down. So operators tried to blow, blow down very quickly, and then they had a tube failure, tube rupture. So the second boiler shut down. Refinery cannot run on two boilers out of four. So the whole refinery trips down. So imagine, like, you're shutting down the whole refinery. So this was, like, really overwhelming for me. Of course, it was not our fault. It was a issue was with a demineralizer, but it takes, like, you know, a day or two to understand what was the problem. But then for me, it was like, okay, so... We impact really the refinery operations of our customers. So this was like kind of very challenging. But, you know, the, the more you go in senior roles and then uh, you get more challenges on, on a different scale. So, for example, in Saudi, I had a case where, where our treatment was not performing. So you, you have to deal with the refinery manager and so on. And same thing in, in Morocco. So, you know, it's, it's not a straightforward job, especially when you're working with uh, high uh, stressful uh, operations where you have leaks and, and so on. So... It also, it makes it interesting and exciting because you are trying to find, to solve tough challenges. You know, if if there was not tough challenges, they will not need us in this job. You know, they can just buy the chemicals and apply them. Yeah, and that's a great point. Uh, there's this job isn't easy, and thank goodness it's not easy because they need people like us. Correct. Like 15 years ago, I used to hear that we will not need any more people because we can buy them online, and then. But today, it's still the same case. People are there are of course productivity improvement, but they still need people to go and advise how to operate. And I'm sure it's the same case over there. Instead of companies hiring more people to manage their own equipment and to do all the things that we do for them when they hire us, they're streamlining their crew. They're having less and less and less people. They need us more than ever. Correct. Definitely. Definitely. I remember like in many cases, the operations team will rely more on our results compared to their own lab because they know that we are taking the right sample at the right sampling point, you know, with the right procedure. What would you say was your proudest day in water treatment? Something that you just thought, yes, that's, that's my accomplishment. That's, that's proving that, you know, I'm in the right field. I love what I do. And here's the proof. You will laugh about it. So like I was in Kuwait and then I'm called to go and help in Bahrain. Okay. They had a boiler audit. So, so they need somebody to go from our team and, Think about it. I'm young. I'm asked to fly in in the morning, take an international flight and come back at night. You know, so I thought like I made it, you know, I'm a big, big businessman. I fly just for one day just to go and do a site audit and come back. So it was like, like really big thing. I mean, this was in the early days, but looking back, I think the best achievement is the people I've coached, I've hired, I've coached, I've developed uh, together with my leadership teams and and today they are very successful. So, so it makes you really proud that that you were there, but also you're helping now people to to go on the same track. And I see it like if somebody resigns, people complain, oh, we're losing him and so on. My point to my team is always like, if the person is resigning, it means they've got a better opportunity. So shame on us, we did not give them a better opportunity. But if they found one for them, it's much better because we know they will grow. 
Well, let's talk about that a little bit, because I know you are a coach. You coach other people in this industry. Can you tell us a little bit about that, what the person you're coaching gets out of the relationship, and what do you get out of the relationship? Yeah, you know, I, I do a lot of coaching, as you mentioned. And uh, I mean, I used to do it earlier in my roles as part of the leadership team of a company. But then now that I have a little bit more free time because I'm not in a multinational environment, you know, where, where it's all back-to-back stress in terms of, of deliverables. So I have more more bandwidth. And I think what, what people get out of it is that they tend to, to get something to think about. So I, I don't come back to them and telling them, no, you should do this or you should do it that way. What I usually try to do is just ask questions, you know, probe them. Why is that thinking that way? Can they do it in different way, you know, and so on. So I try not to really push a solution unless I see like it's really critical for them to 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 notice what that they are doing something wrong, you know. And the good thing is that with the LinkedIn exposure, I'm coaching people I, I never met before, you know. So for example, somebody uh, there is a lady, for example, in California who, who we have like frequent calls, you know. Same thing in Australia. So so completely different countries, you know, and different spaces. I think what I get out of it is that first I stay in touch with what's happening in the market because these are all related to water. So so the problems they might be experiencing, they will give me some information to connect the dots. And also it's it's a personal uh, sense of, of uh, pride, you know, because I'm helping people, other people to grow their careers. So many people listening today, they probably don't consider themselves a coach. I think they should, but they do consider themselves a teacher or a trainer. What is a tip? What's a mindset that you can give them that will help them? Look, I think teaching is, it's not easier, but it's a different type of skill set. So teaching means you go back to the textbook or your life experience on the ground, and you try to communicate how to do things. You know, it's more like a, a technical or, or commercial activity. So it's a specific activity that you're trying to teach. I think all of us, we coach in our day-to-day life, you know, like, like as you mentioned. So most people, they will be coaching, but they don't notice that they are coaching. And then when you talk to them about mentoring and so on, they say, oh, really, we don't need, I don't know how to do mentoring and so on. It's not that complicated. It's just that they have to be more going through open-ended questions versus, you know, just asking uh, closed-ended questions because closed-ended questions, you're just giving them the answer. Well, if you ask open-ended, people will think and and will develop faster. I really think that we put too much pressure on ourselves with the words like leader, trainer, coach, mentor. And we think that we have to have this grandiose plan. We've got to know so much. We've got to be able to do so much. And it's not that at all. We just have to take an interest in the person and share the experiences that we've had. What's something that you think you can tell our Scaling Up Nation that might get them to realize that they're already doing these things? So if I look back on my career, I've always had help, you know, people more experienced than me who who, who helped me, you know. And if you look at what you do in your day-to-day activities, I mean, if people look at what they do in their day-to-day activities, they are helping around. And, and when they start analyzing what are the help they are giving to other people, they will see that they are coaching, in, in fact. You know, when, when you give an advice to a young uh, engineer who just started, or when you're at customer site and you tell the customer how to, for example, improve his uh, cycles of concentration. So, so anything you're doing and with other people, you're basically coaching them, you're teaching them, you're helping them without having a defined name. You, you might have a role of sales engineer. 
but basically you, you're educating, you're coaching, you're helping other people to improve their, their jobs. Something that I know that you've covered numerous times on social media, something I'd like to talk about here is uh, diversity in the workplace, uh, specifically gender diversity. I think we're mostly a male-dominated industry. The women that I know that are in the industry are extremely successful. What are you seeing as a shift to more females in the workplace? And what can you add to that conversation? I think you're spot on. For me, this is a, a really important topic because if I look back when I was studying engineering, we had seven uh, women out of uh, 70 students in my class. So 10%, you know, and and think about it, like 10% at university and then they drop out later in their careers. So for example, they get married, some of them will stop or some of them will move to another type of role and so on. So you end up with two, three uh, women working in the same field, you know, so like two out of 75. So the challenge first is to to find uh, women engineers at least 20 years ago in our region. But the bigger challenge is to help them grow their careers and also retain them because you have the both aspects. You have the diversity and the in- inclusion part. So of course, diversity is not just gender, but I focus a lot on the gender part because I see it as a big gap in, in our region. And as you mentioned, is the water industry. And my message to my team was always that we don't want to go and hire females. We want to hire the best candidate available. But to get there, we have to first kind of uh, enlarge our uh, slate of candidates. So if you're interviewing 10 male, you will get for sure a male. But if you're interviewing 10 male, uh, five male and five females, you will get the fair chance who, whoever gets the job. So, so for example, in my last job at Danahar, we, we started a program where we were hiring inside sales engineers. And for us, this was a kind of point of entry to groom people within the organization. And I think we did a good job because we started with 14% female diversity when I I joined. Five years later, we were at 50%, you know, 50% uh, gender diversity. If we can do this in the water industry in the Middle East, where it's a very conservative uh, society, I think it can be done anywhere. You know, there is no reason why, why you cannot do it anywhere. In parallel, we also need to continue thinking about the women empowerment and having them growing their careers. You know, there is no point of hiring someone and just keeping them where they are. So the idea is goes hand in hand. So so first you get to a gender diverse uh, population, but then after you also need to give a fair chance for, for both to succeed, for both male and female to succeed. Wally, not too long ago, we placed an ad for a new engineer. We had zero women apply for it. Was that because of how we wrote the ad or is that because we're not advertising in the right place? What can we do better? You touch on something good, like like the wording. A lot of wording can sometimes put off any woman from applying because, for example, there are some words like if you say strong character, you know, or so that that are usually uh, confused with male characters and then the ladies will not apply. But... uh, also, another thing that can be done is to be proactive in the search. So, so not to wait until we have an opening to go and fill it. Because as you said, this is what happens when, you, when we just open a role, you will not have the time to wait to, to find a diverse slate of candidates. So you'll just go with whoever applies. So one thing we, we've done, for example, is to go and scout for talent early on. And then once with the role, we have an opening, we have the headcount approved, we go back to them. For example, in marketing, I've met very good qualified uh, employees, but I didn't have jobs for them. Once we had the job, so we reached out to them. 
you need always to be scouting for people. So, so, and it, of course, it applies not just to gender, but in general. One time we had a lady reach out uh, in uh, Dubai. She was moving, she was relocating to Dubai and uh, she was following her, her uh, partner. And we didn't have a role for her, but we saw that she was really highly qualified. And then with my uh, manager, I told him, why don't you create for her a role once we, we have an opportunity? So a few months later, we found the opportunity. We called her and, and she came on board. Today, she's one of the most successful employees uh, in Suez. I used to work for GE, but it became Suez. So she's still there and she's one of the most successful uh, employees of Suez. If we didn't do this early on, we would not have had her in our team. Who would you say have been the most influential in your career? I think there are a few, few people who really impacted my career. Before even starting my career, so when I was at university, I used to do a, a part-time job, which is a, a summer camp. So I used to to coach kids and and man, you know. So I started as a junior employee, and I ended up managing the summer camp, the whole summer camp. It was like two fifty kids, and the owner of the summer camp, even though he didn't have any education in terms of like university leadership or experience in, in a big corporation. He was really inspiring and and motivating, and you just showed up to the summer camp because you love working with him, you know. So I think this is what set the stage for me that you know what I want to grow in my career. When I go in a company, I want to grow. But then after, I was lucky to have like good uh, leaders and good managers. One of them, in fact, I met in Weftech. So he used to be my manager at the GE days, and uh, he went back to the US uh, after his assignment was was over. His name is Bob Holtz. So he's the one who really helped me to scale my leadership skills and, and believe in me and go like in a bigger roles compared to the roles I was doing before. So I was managing like a few people, but I didn't have this big, you know, sp- space to, to play with. And in parallel, I think it's not just like people who are you're working with. Uh, my wife was also kind of a driver, you know, in terms of giving me space to be what I am today. I mean, she could have been a different type of personality and then I would have been stuck, you know, between maneuvering between, you know, home and work and so on. We mentioned all the things that you're doing with social media. If someone is not aware of that, how can they find you and what will they find when they go looking? Yeah, I, I think if they are not aware about social media it, and they want to be in the professional field, it's a mistake because they can learn a lot of things on social media and network with people. So, so this is a must. It's really a must. So, so the best place to find me is on LinkedIn. Just go on LinkedIn and, and type uh, Walid Khouri. You'll find a lot of things I've posted. And most of my posts are related to uh, the water industry, our, our diversity, our leadership, but it's all related around, around the same topics. And uh, I've done even some some trainings on uh, how to interact on LinkedIn and how to build relationships and so on. So also they can benefit from from this part that that people sometimes they pe- people sometimes they go to LinkedIn just to apply for a job, and I think it's too late when you when you go to apply for a job on LinkedIn means 400 people would have applied. So so your chances of standing out from the 400 candidates is almost nil. So so that's why I encourage people to go on LinkedIn and do a lot of work in terms of uh, building their reputation. So so when they go, for example, answer a question, uh, give a suggestion in the space, people get to notice them. And then after, when they are about to hire, they will reach out to them. If you could only get one point across today, what do you want that point to be? I think developing ourselves. 
we, we should not get stuck in, in there was a book I, I read what what got you here won't get uh, won't get you there you know so so you cannot get stuck and and say okay I'm, I'm, I've, I've achieved because there is always a constant challenge and and you need to always improve yourself or else you're left behind so so people need to really continue developing themselves and and to me this is really critical especially in nowadays where where things are really fast moving. Well, let's unpack that for a second, because as a water treater, your first day, probably your first year, you're just drinking from a fire hose. All this information, everything is brand new. Then you start learning what your typical day-to-day is. And this is what I think really separates the people that are great in the industry and people that are just okay. The ones that are great continue to learn. The ones that are just okay they're really good at what they see on a day-to-day basis, but they don't challenge themselves. So my question is, how do you challenge yourself? How do you know when you don't know something and how do you go learn it? I think it's a good question. So, so basically when, I, when the job becomes easy, it means I'm not learning anything. So I get to know that I'm not learning anything, you know, and then I need to find something else. So for example, when I was at Nalco, the first year, as you mentioned, I was like learning a lot. And then you had an exam. If you if you pass the exam, then you move to sales. So, so it was really challenging and a sense of achievement because you, you you graduate from the program. Now you think like you, you're excellent. You can do anything you want, you know, but then of course you have to drive numbers and so on. But then after three years, it was like kind of boring because as you mentioned, I'm doing the same thing. And I was looking at my manager. He was in his forties and he was always complaining about his job, but he cannot move anywhere because he is only done chemicals, specialty chemicals. So I said, okay, I'm not going to be like this. I have to learn something else. And that's why I moved to GE because I moved in the equipment uh, business. So so here I'm learning more about the equipment, uh, like reverse osmosis, uh, wastewater, MBR, all the different technologies. And of course, five years later, I was back to the chemicals because I like the chemical at the end of the day. So I spent like 10 years just doing the chemical part. But... I think in every role you can play and, and one of the best ways to, to, to you can learn and one of the best ways to learn is to teach. I've seen that, that when I have to present a topic, but like a course, not, not just a presentation, like a, really a course, deliver a course, then I have to learn because I need to be ready for the questions and the questions might not be easy, you know, so I have to be really understanding the topic. And then after you present also, you, you get questions that you cannot answer, so you learn more. So I think... Learning by teaching is really important uh, sometimes because it helps you to keep uh, improving yourself. And again, if you're bored from your job, it means you're not learning something much. Move to the next one. I love that answer. That is uh, underscore that. Absolutely. Well, let's move on to the lightning round. My first question, if you can go back in time and talk to your former self on your first day as an industrial water treater, what advice would you give yourself? I think I would, Tell this young guy, think big. Because back then, you know, like you go to a refinery, you think it's big, you know. But but I mean, if you do the same career in a small geography or you do it in a bigger geography, you can really grow faster. So I would think like, think big. Don't don't get yourself stuck in a smaller geography, smaller organization, smaller company. You mentioned a few books already on this interview, but what are the last few books that you've read? I'm not really into books a lot, so I don't read a lot of books. I do a lot of internet surfing articles and, and so on. But uh, there, there are a few books, like the last one I was reading is The Hot Seat from Jeff Immelt. It 
came out like this year. And uh, this is the story of GE when Jeff Immelt was leading the company. You know, it has a lot of issues. And it's a mix of leadership, uh, business acumen, recognizing failures, but also what were the challenges and so on. So it's an interesting book. Another one which inspired me a lot in my uh, Africa work was uh, the book titled African Business Revolution, which came from uh, three McKenzie uh, leaders. And it talks about Africa. So one of the examples, they say, like, how many companies in Africa that generates more than $1 billion revenue? So most people, they ask this question to tons of CEOs globally, and most of them said 10, 15, 20, 50. So in fact, there are 400 companies in Africa who generates more than $1 billion in revenues. You know, So this is the type of book that helps you understand Africa and see why the need to go there as a market. And and the third book I, I like is uh, Black Swan. It was written by a stock exchange broker uh, gentleman. He was originally from Lebanon and immigrated to the U.S. And it tells you about like all the forecasts we do, all the things we, we plan and so on. Chances are they're not uh, be executed even the longer. Like if you do like three years forecast, like the typical GE and Danahar uh, projects, chances are it will not be executed because there are a lot of things that will happen in the meantime. So these are, I think, three interesting books that, that uh, I encourage people to read. Now, you mentioned researching things on the internet. I know it's hard to believe not everything on the internet is always factual. So you as an industrial water treater, that is the easiest way to do some research. Do you have certain places you prefer going to others? In terms of technology, I rely a lot on LinkedIn if I, if I want to read about technology, because think about it, you've got all the professionals on this platform, like you, like sharing all these videos and, and discussions and articles. Anybody who publishes a paper who would love to, to also highlight it on LinkedIn that he has published this paper. So you get tons of tons of material. Of course, there are like some of the magazines that you can go go to, like the Global Water Intelligence and, and Smart Water Magazine and so on. But I think you can pull tons of information from from LinkedIn in terms of latest development, in terms of technology, but also within the industry. So I think this question is going to be interesting because we have different pop cultures. So the question is, when they make a movie about your life, who plays you? Maybe maybe it can be Tintin. You know Tintin, the, the, the explorer? The journalist explorer who goes around all the world discovering countries and so on. So, I, so I, it's a cartoon, but I think it, it will be well fit because he has a little, bit, a little bit the same hair, but also he's been around the world trying to discover things. <laughs> there we go. There we go. My last question, you now have the ability to speak to anybody throughout history. Who to be with and why? I'll be talking to my grandfather from from my mother's side. So it's not like very far in the history. but. Uh, it was kind of a different life back then. So, so he was born early 1900, and uh, he was a taxi driver. So back then, cars were not available in Lebanon. So he was the first one who got a car in the whole uh, village, you know. And he will be taking people to the city, you know, and so on. So, so I really wondered how life was 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 before, you know, like what were his challenges and so on, and what was business for him, you know, like why, how he will budget his, his, his uh, maintenance for the car. How do he calculate what is the expenses he has to, how much he has to charge, you know, and all of these things. There was no courses about it back then, you know, it was just, you learn on the fly. So I have some memories with him when I was like five years old, maybe, but then he passed away. He l- used to do a lot of uh, uh, carpenting work. He used to do like small things that, that he, he loved it. Like it was like his hobby. 
So this is a memory I have from him, but I don't know him as a as a businessman, as a how how hard it was, how did you know how he got the idea of buying a car, the first thing, you know. So Waleed, I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O and really unite the world. We're all industrial water treaters. You live, what are you, about 12 hours difference from us, roughly? Yeah, a little bit more, yeah. <laughs> but we're doing the exact same thing. So how awesome is that? We are part of a community. And instantly, when you and I started talking, we understood everything that we were going through on a day-to-day basis. That's true. That's true. I I really like your summary because it's true. Like we all think alike, you know, when we we meet globally, we all think alike. Wally, thank you for coming on Scale It Up H2O. It was my pleasure. And I really uh, looking forward to continuing the discussions together. Once again, Wally, thank you for coming on Scaling Up H2O. Again, there are no borders to the industrial water treatment community. And as I mentioned, I met Waleed virtually. He was putting out content on LinkedIn, and that is one of the areas. I do exactly what he advised us to do on the interview, is I go to social media and I start looking for topics, one, that make me smarter, two, that I can talk about here on the podcast. And he puts out great content. And it was through that content that we connected on LinkedIn. And we had a relationship that was pretty much restricted to LinkedIn. Then we decided, let's have him on the podcast so he can tell us a little bit more about what he does and how he does that. So are you using LinkedIn like that? As he mentioned, so many just go on LinkedIn to apply for a job, and I have to agree with him. If you're applying for a job on LinkedIn, you're probably at best number 102. Now, that doesn't mean you're not going to get that particular job, but if there was more of you out there where a potential employer can see more than your application, more than your resume, that is going to bolster your ability to get said job over everybody else. It also does something that Waleed asked us to change our paradigm about, that we're not just a student, we are a teacher. And the absolute best way, I cannot agree with him more, is when you learn something new, do not consider yourself a student of that information. When you learn something, consider yourself a future teacher of that information. When you're now listening to a lecture, reading a book, researching something, and you come at it from, I'm eventually going to teach this topic, you will devour that information so much more differently because you're now thinking of all the questions people are going to ask you. You're now thinking of how everybody learns information Differently. You're thinking of all of these things. Ultimately, you are in the mindset of looking at the information through how do I share it with others? We're just continuing this theme all the way through this show. I really think that is what the water treatment community is about. It helps us learn the information better when we change our mindset to that as a future teacher. And it also helps our industry to get better. 
One of my goals with this podcast is to raise the bar in the industrial water treatment industry, one water treater at a time. Now, I can't do that. That's up to every one of the listeners to do that, but I can make things a little bit easier for you to find. I can give you some techniques and maybe some ideas that you can go act on, but I can't do anything to make you act on it. And when I go to the conventions and the trade shows, some of which Waleed and I were talking about earlier, and so many of you come up to me and you thank me for a particular designation that you received or some sort of credential or something that you've done in your job and you say, I did this because of scaling up H2O, first of all, thank you so much for telling me that. I love that. That is how I get so much joy out of having a microphone sitting on my desk and doing this podcast each and every week. I want you to know that you were 100% responsible for that. I might have inspired you. I might have given you a tool to get you from A to B, but you were the one that actually took the steps to get there. So I want you to give yourself credit. And I also want everybody out there, as we're wrapping up this year, what are the things that you need to get done? And maybe you're not going to get them done in just a few short weeks time. What have you learned over this past year? What are the experiences that give you better data so you can analyze why you weren't able to complete the task that you didn't? and why you were able to complete the task that you did. All of that information is life telling you how you can get better and what you need to know about your own life to get better if you take time to listen to that lesson. So if you want some homework over the next week, I want you to consider all the things that you learned over this year and figure out how you're going to apply them going forward. The other thing I want you to do is tune in next week for a brand new episode of Scaling Up H2O. Nation, the mastermind is wildly successful and the only thing missing is you. Go to scalinguph2o.com forward slash mastermind to see if this is the group that you have been waiting for and the group that can push you to your next level of success.